Without further ado, let's bring Nick on the line. Good morning, Nick. How are you this morning? Good morning, Richard. Morning, Jill. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. And look, it was a, again, it was a pleasure to meet you yesterday. And thank you for your fabulous hospitality. And um, we had a wonderful wine tasting. And, you know, that's that's the reason we've got you on the show today. So, Nick, I'd love to hand over to you. Tell us your story. How did you get into wine? Why Cloverly Estate? You know, go back two decades and uh, and and give us the journey. Right. Well, it, it didn't start in um, in winemaking, um, but I've always always been interested in wine and had, had drunk wine from from early on. Uh, so it had developed a, a taste for wine and um, started life after school as an accountant um, and uh, started. I, I met a winemaker um, at a couple of dinners in Brisbane and eventually. Um, had one of those lightning bolt moments, maybe with a couple of Shiraz under my belt, um, <laughs> where I suddenly decided I wanted to be a winemaker. Uh, so it was back to study. And uh, at around the same time when I was studying, I found the uh, South Burnett region. It was very young. So I, I did exactly don't remember, 99 or 2000. So the vines were only about four years old at that stage. But what I fell in love with was the passion um, of like the pioneers of the region and what they were doing and what they were uh, hoping to achieve. And uh, I wanted to be involved. Um, being born and bred in Queensland, um, I mean, I could have travelled down south and I did in my early years, um, but it, it just wasn't for me. And when I saw the the energy and the spirit uh, in the South Burnett, I, I just wanted in. Um, so I... I um, Started my you know, my full wine making career in the South Burnett and and um, have stayed since. Um, so you started. Just, so you actually started as an accountant, and I and I guess even based on our on our chat yesterday, it means that you bring quite a lot of logic to uh, to your wine making, and I mean that in the best possible way because we all know wine making is very much science, and you know it's creative, but it's science at the same time. Um, mm. How do you find that you've been able to apply your logic to uh, to create the beautiful wines that you do? Well, I, I think it, I, mean, I, I don't read too much into it, but the the, the you know the the style of winemaking that I do is um, I, I I'm not an aficionado with the the minimal intervention uh, style, so I like structure, um, and I like to know what's going on um, with my ferments and with the wines and how they're travelling. Uh, so I guess I use that that structure from you know my early career. Um, and implanted into the winemaking, where I, you know, keep a fair amount of control and and structure in in the systems that I use for winemaking. Uh, sure. Good morning, Nick. Uh, it's Richo here. Look, I've had a texter come through uh, without a name. So, peeps, if you're going to text in, we'd love to know who it is. But I've just had a very general question: that what are geographically speaking, where is this region, and what are the towns near the South Burnet area, please? Right. So we're uh, Roughly 270 kilometres northwest of Brisbane, um, up on the Great Dividing Range. So we've got an altitude of ranging from 450 metres up to roughly 600 metres, depending on the vineyard. Yeah, right. Um, so the 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 one town the one town that most people would be familiar with um, of, of a particular generation would be King Arroy. So the old ah. stomping ground of Joe Bishop. Joe B. Peterson. Peterson, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's old so that's, school. That's, 
that's about 60 kilometres south of where where we are, but it's probably the most um, recognisable um, city or uh, well, town. It's not a city um, from where we are. So that's that's the best indication I can give. So about 270 kilometres northwest of Brisbane up on the range. Fantastic. Thanks for that. <laughs> There are some really beautiful towns around here. So I'm actually uh, running this live from Gumeri, a, a beautiful little town. And there's been, you know, we've been to Walloran and uh, there's Mergon. They're, they're just these gorgeous little quaint uh, villages uh, dotted around the region. And it, it's it, there's a lot of camaraderie. It's a very special field to it, isn't there, Nick? Oh, there is. Like we're a, we're a small group, but we're very we're core. Like we've we've been through mm-hmm. thick and thin in the, over the last twenty odd years establishing the wine region. So um, yeah, we're a tight group and uh, get on very well and and work well together. So let's talk the varietals that uh, that really grow well in this region. It's uh, with a very similar soil and climate to the Hunter Valley. It's not mm. that surprising that you know the Delos and uh, Semillon grow so nicely. But can you talk us through the varietals that you grow? Yeah, um, I think one of the interesting things was because we were we're a new wine region, you know, twenty five years old. When the vineyards were being established. Um, we had the opportunity to look at alternative varieties very early on the piece. We, you know, so at the establishment stage of the vineyards, we could start looking at um, other varieties besides the, the classic royal varieties. Um, and I think that was a, a that was a wonderful thing. I mean, you know, the, we didn't have to um, graft over varieties and that sort of thing. So we started um, playing around with Mediterranean varieties because we're, we are a warmer climate. We're not a um, we're not a hot climate, but we're warm. So well, it hasn't been that way this weekend. What's that? Sorry, no, no, it hasn't been warm. <laughs> <this weekend. laughs> it's slightly warmer today than it was yesterday. I think but, um, just a little, uh, just a little. Uh, it's it, um, a blessing. Um, mm. So we started looking at uh, particularly Italian varieties, so Barbera, Sangiovese, uh, Nebbiolo. We've got planted, um, and then we've got Grenache. Um, what else have we got? Um, well, as you said, Vidello, uh as our as a white variety, uh, and other you know other vineyards in the area are planting Montepulciano, um, Germantino, um, all sorts of things. So the, the vineyards are still growing, um, not at any great pace. But when we when the, you know, a grower finds something that is of interest and it has some market appeal, uh, the vineyards can go in. So we're still growing, which is great. Yeah. Look, uh, I just realised a varietal that you didn't mention there and that I've had uh, a couple of beautiful ones is the Saparavi. Yeah, um, I knew you were going to bring I, that one. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want the story out. So for, for everyone up there listening, uh, I've, I've already mentioned that I had this wonderful uh, wine tasting and gin tasting, which we'll touch on later, with, uh, with Nick uh, yesterday. But he actually gave me a very interesting insight into Saparavi, this very beautiful grape that I, I guess most people know it as, as the oldest uh, grape in the world from Georgia. But I, I'd like Nick to actually explain that that's not necessarily correct. Yeah. Yeah, I know that this is probably going to upset some people, but um, <laughs> this is, again, applying some of the logic. But, yeah, Saparavi is known as, as, the, as the grape variety of Georgia. Um, but, in fact the Saparavi is indigenous to the entire northern coastline of the Black Sea. So that that runs from Crimea through southern Russia into Georgia. 
Um, but how it became known as the Georgian variety was that uh, during the 80s uh, in Russia, um, Gorbachev uh, decreed that all the vineyards in southern Russia should be pulled out um, due to uh, some alcoholism problems with the population. Um, and they didn't pull... I mean, it's a long way from Moscow, so not everyone pulled all their vines out and left some there, thank goodness. Um, but while they didn't have... While they lost their wine industry uh, in the um, in the 90s, uh, the Georgians picked up Saparazzi and ran with it and claimed it as their own, which is, which is fine. Someone needed to run with it. Um, mm. But it, it, it certainly doesn't make it a Georgian variety, and it is... Indigenous to that region, um, in the entire northern coastline of the of the Black Sea, and as I was saying yesterday, um, and this, if it is, and genetics, you know, proves that Saparabi is the oldest um, variety on Earth. You know, the borders between Georgia, Russia, and any other country didn't exist. You know, mm. you know, ten so thousand true. years ago. So, so how can it be any one particular national variety? But good luck yeah. to the Georgians. I mean, they've they do a particular style of winemaking with it. Um, other people don't. You know, they're they're much more sort of on skins and in caberries and all sorts of crazy things. And um, you know, the rest of us sort of do a bit more modern winemaking with it. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, I thought that was such an interesting uh, insight because you're right, you know, yeah. 7,000, 10,000 years ago, those borders didn't exist. So, you no. know, the vines uh, didn't know where to stop and start. But um, yeah. but look, it, it is still a sensational varietal that, geez, this region is is doing so beautifully. So let's yeah. talk a little bit more about uh, the characteristics and uh, you know, the styles of, of the wine. So Shiraz, you know, the varietal that, you know, Australia is known for, we do it beautifully all yeah. around the country. But, you know, Yours, again, is slightly different. You get those nice white pepper notes coming through, hints of spice. Can you talk to us about, um, well, your reserve Shiraz was incredible. Tell us about mm. how you make your Shiraz. Right. Well, I think it's an interesting it's a, uh, interesting fact that being a warmer climate, you, know, you would expect the Shiraz to be very full-bodied, very you know, juicy, very fruit-forward. Um, but in fact, it's quite the opposite in this region. Um, we've noticed that the Shiraz are much more uh, of an elegant style. Um, so mm. we're only reaching sort of alcohols around the sort of high 12s, um, early 13% um, alcohols, um, but with a with a delicacy and elegance to it. And so you do see more of that, that white pepper, you know, slightly savoury. <clears throat> but the, the spectrum is more in the red fruits um than in the really darker fruits um so i i employ rather a, a light touch with the shiraz i'm you know personally not a fan of the big brooding style um that you, you need to chew through um and i prefer something far more sort of light and delicate and and drinkable so i i do have a light touch with my shiraz but you know extract exactly what i want from it so it's got some you know some structure but with with elegance not with, um, not with I think uh, elegance that's exactly the word that I that I was going to use really beautifully refined elegant wines and uh, quite light on the alcohol content which is also very nice and definitely the way that people are attending towards with their drinking um yeah. I, you know we we're drinking your lovely chardonnay at 11.2 percent and uh, well semillons are normally probably around 11 but they are on that lower lower level but they are so they certainly aren't skimping at all on on taste and flavour and character. 
No. What about that that Bow two thousand and fourteen semi-on that's just hitting its straps at the moment with a you know beautiful acidity, you know, eight years down the down the line. Sorry, Jill. Nick, I've got a question. From a consumer point of view, it's something that I see regularly because, you know, I work at Uncle Dan's. So this Mm. beautiful light kind of um, more savoury, more spicy version of Shiraz, which I adore, like I'm on board, mate, like well done, thank you. But from a consumer point of view, was there a consideration and has the region had a consideration about this Syrah versus Shiraz? Where do you stand on that? Do you have an opinion on that? Uh, I, I do. I'm not. I, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't want to change the name. I think uh, I know it stylistically. Sarah is the you know. Consi- you know, some people consider it the the lighter style. I'm more than happy just to continue calling it Shiraz. Um, I, I mean, Sarah is simply just the French word for Shiraz. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I I really don't see a need to do it. I think it could confuse the consumer. It can open some, you know, make it a bit clearer for consumers as well. If they see a Syrah, they know it's the lighter style. Um, no, it's a tough yeah, question. I, mean, I, I know because I've I've done a masterclass on this and, you know, I've had Shirazes that taste like Syrahs and then I see a Syrah from yeah. McLaren Vale coming in at 15% and I think, well, okay, that is confusing for consumers. But, no, I, I think it's great to sort of delineate that sort of lighter, fresher style and um, looking forward to having a taste. Yeah, yeah. I think – and see, I wasn't particularly – like, I'm, I don't – necessarily strive to make a particular style of wine. The fruit should do the talking oh, during dinner. Absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, you've you got to make what you get, right? And that's why yeah. we're talking about this lovely new region, the South Burnett wine region, because, you know, we don't know it down here at all, mate. No, you won't. And look, you know, not to be negative, but, you know, there is um, some negativity associated with wines from Queensland. Like, you know, how can you grow grapes in Queensland? You know, you know, they don't grow on Hastings Street at Noosa, so how do you do it? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, well, they're not growing on Burke Street in Melbourne either, so... <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. We're, they used to, but they don't now. You know, thankfully, we're, you know, as the crow flies, we're, we're quite close to the coast, but there's a there's a dirty, great big dividing range. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, that, you know, really gives us the opportunity to to grow grapes up here and grow them successfully. Mm. Um, so w- will you find them in Melbourne? N- no. Not yet. Um, n- not yet. Um, but someone listening, if they want to have a look, I'll happily come down with a with a um, case of wine and do some tastings. Oh, um, there you go, Richo. Take well, that up. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is that... Yeah, as from a consumer point of view, again, and a commercial point of view for a big business like mine, obviously that it's important for us to get your wines into Dan Murphy's in Queensland first, mm. right, and then get them yeah. sort of, you know, smaller, I, I think smaller boutique places would be able to sell smaller boutique wineries better down here in Melbourne. But, you know, um, I think once again, Jill, hats off to you because without you we're not having this conversation down here. That's that, totally. And so so further to that, Nick, where do people, how can people taste your wines? Is it uh, that they can order online from your website or is it only cellar door? No, no, we're, we've got a very efficient um, online presence. Um, all yeah. the wines are available online and um, packed up nice and, and tightly for a successful postage. Um, of course, you know, the cellar door, like any cellar door, is a, is a beautiful experience. Um, and and I think there's something nice about tasting the wine when you're in the vineyard where the the fruit came from so Salador online 
um, you know, we are in a few, in, particularly in Brisbane, some of the more independent uh, bottle shops. Um, but of course, we've got a fairly wide range, so it's it's uh, there's only a, a, probably two or three of the wines from from the range are in any particular bottle shop. Yes, and you actually do. You I mean you've, you've got a lot of a f absolutely fantastic range, and it is a gorgeous cellar door. So for people just wanting to check this out, this is Cloverly Estate, C L O V E L Y Estate. They really are magnificent wines. But um, just uh, just before we go away from uh, away yeah. from the cellar door, what you also do is this wonderful gin distilling. And uh, we know that a lot of our listeners out there, I mean, it's the whole gin phenomenon is huge. But what I really loved with Nick's approach to the tasting experience is there were four different gins. And the way it was done is you, you taste each gin neat. Then you add, add, uh, add ice, taste it again. You add a splash of tonic. And then you add the garnish and you can actually choose up. So what Nick does is he puts in four different types of garnishes and you then choose which one to pair with each gin based on, I guess, the first sip that you have. And it was so fun. Like even one were the coffee beans and the coffee beans worked so well with one of their gins called more, which had more of that, um, well, I guess, uh, chocolatey. It's still very herbaceous. You know, it it just ended up being like a gin that you could have as an after dinner drink. And it was it was such an eye opener. It was um, Nick. Is there anything that you want to talk to about your gins? Well, I just think it's the, the you know where the gin started was. I, I was having one of those moments where I was thinking about things, and wineries for centuries have distilled their wine um, to make you know like brandy or cognac and mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And I thought, well. You know, I, I like gin. It's my preferred drink during vintage when I've had enough of sugary ju grape juice and looking at ferments. Um, so I started to distill some of our wine to see what sort of base spirit I could get, and then take it to the next step with with um, uh, with gins. And see, it's a, it, it's quite a different scenario because most of the gin distilleries in or distilleries white spirit distilleries in Australia just buy their, their neutral spirit from a supplier and then they they, you know, they use their creativity to come up with their gin style with their selection of botanicals. Um, there's only, I think, about five or six of us in the country that actually distill our own base spirit and in our case, because we're a winery and we have you know access to wine, um, we distill the wine, take it through to a neutral spirit, and then on to the gin, which gives the the base spirit a, a very particular characteristic. Well, it's not it's not particular, but it's it's very different to a highly processed neutral spirit. So it's yeah. quite soft and and velvety on the palate. You don't get that 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 aggressive hit of ethanol. I mean, of course, it is ethanol, but it's it, it it's not aggressive. It's a very soft flush style of ethanol so the the gins are you know ideally suited uh to drinking neat with a bit of ice in it and really delving into the flavors and the aromatics of the botanicals because it's 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 a pleasant experience not a not a difficult one like like many like white spirits 
Sure. That was, look, I was I was really blown away by your by your gins as well. And I'm not even a, a massive gin drinker, but I, I think I will be now. Um, yeah. So so what else does Cloverly Estate uh, offer to people who are coming for a day trip or hopefully a, a weekend trip by the by the end of this show? People who want to, you have accommodation, uh, you serve some food. Can you tell us about uh, the whole the whole offering that Cloverly Estate has? Yeah, so we've got um, a number of um, vineyard cottages and and houses uh, scattered around the prop the different properties and different vineyards, uh, so that they can sleep up to a you know, number of people or more intimate. It just depends on the style people are after. We have the cellar doors situated in the centre of of one of our larger vineyard blocks, and the the cellar door offers quite a, a you know wide ranging experience. I mean, like you've said, you know, there's the gin tasting, there's the wine tasting, um, there's the most exquisite platters um, you could imagine. Um, oh, yeah. Five different styles of platters, um, soon to open the sort of wood-fired pizza bar, and so it, we're trying to offer you know a, a full experience. It's, it's like Disneyland for adults. Um, yes. You get you just get all these different options, and and you can hang around for hours just sipping sipping on wine, sipping on gin, eating pizza platters. Um, one of the vineyard houses is right next door to the cellar door, um, so you can wander down the hill and roll back up. You know, at the end of the day, it's um, it's just it's about it's about offering a you know, because people um, can can go and buy wine from anywhere. Uh, they don't need to come to any cellar door to buy wine. They can pop down to, you know, Uncle Dan's and any bottle shop and buy wine. Mm. If they if they come if they're going to make the effort to go to any wine region and go to a cellar door, you've got to offer them an experience and yeah. something they they've got to walk out of the cellar door knowing something or hopefully knowing something they didn't know before they walked in there which they're not going to go, not necessarily going to get walking into a bottle shop, picking up a bottle of wine that they've always, you know, they go to wine and going home. Yes, it's a lovely experience, but it's something, you know, cellar doors need to offer more. And, you know, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's that hospitality, the, the, the interesting facts and just the experience. Absolutely. And look, Cloverly Estate are doing it so well. So, you know, you've got food, you've got accommodation, you've got you've got everything that you need, and it's just such a beautiful spot. So for everyone listening, it is so worth doing this trip, and we will continue talking about it until 11 o'clock, to make make a weekend, put in your diary, go out. We will touch on some awesome uh, some dates and events uh, in the calendar for the next year, uh, for, for weekends to come for specific things. But really, come up, spend two nights, Get some accommodation at Cloverly, try their wines, and just to immerse yourself in a totally new experience. And Nick, you've been you've been fabulous, and you really do. Your your wines are world class wines, mate. They really, really are. And thank, uh, you, thank you again for the experience yesterday. That's a pleasure. No, thanks for coming up, and I'm glad you enjoyed it.